what up, people? Up? Hey. Howdy, howdy. So here's my question for today. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, you guys aren't right you aren't prepped for this. Oh no. No, not at all. <laughs> Every time I have to speak in front of people, I'm like, there's like a there's like a thing I have to check. You know, there's like a tick. Like, oh, do you take a drink of water? Do you like touch your nose three times? Like, do you have a thing like before we record the podcast or like before you were to step on stage doing your announcements or do you have a thing? No. No. Either of you guys? I don't mm-hmm. think so. My thing is I always have to check my fly like four times. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's really weird, but I have this like weird phobia that I'm going to one day step on stage and my fly is going to be down. And I'm not, I, you can't, once you're up there, like, I don't know if you can fix it. Just right? turn around and just point at something behind you're like, you. Well, check out this LED wall. And then you turn around and you fix it. But <laughs> you guys don't do anything. I you're not like, oh, I, never... I need a... I mean, there's lots of, like, before I leave worship, there's lots of things I check. Like, is my guitar in tune? Is all my buttons turned on? Like, mm-hmm. those things. But no, like, little tick. But no, like, yeah, ritual thing. Because, like, sometimes on the podcast when I'm wearing a hat, I feel like I need to I need, I feel need to fix my hat every time before we start. But when fixing it, I don't have a mirror, so I don't really yeah. know what it looks like right now. I probably but. readjust my hair, but that might just be instinct. So I'm just the weird one. I'm the one with all the weird ticks. No, that's, like, a thing. I know it is for yeah. people. I just don't know that yeah. I have any. Yep. All right. Fair enough. Tickless. <laughs> Take what? <laughs> Tickless. Tickless. I don't tick-less. think tick is oh, the yeah. word that you guys are wanting to use. Yeah. Oh, really? No. No. <laughs> okay. Anyways. You're, you're talking like just ritual habits. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tick Habit-less. is something else. <laughs> What'd you ha- say? Habitless? Yeah. I'm not comprehending what, <laughs> what this guy's saying already. <laughs> we're, we're just, I'm just going to casually <laughs> shout out just random words. Just random, the you're just going to combine random words. Yep. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Let's dive into this thing. We're talking about book recommendations today. We did this podcast, what, almost probably two years ago with, oh, wow. with Ben Geetson. Benny Boy was Shout here out. and he we were dropping some book recs, but it's important to read, right? Readers, mm-hmm. what do they say? Leaders are readers because leaders are learners. You guys heard sure. Never like heard that. that. Nope. I don't think that's actually how it goes, but there, <laughs> it's something along those lines because reading is important and uh, some of the reasons why is just like some of us read to relax in a world where there's a lot of stress and demands and busyness. Reading can be a form of relaxing. Relaxing. Reading to learn, like we just talked about, some of the books we'll talk today, most of them probably will be good resources for you to be able to learn different things. Or even I, I think about reading as the process of for, like how you're being formed in an age that is like hyper fast content and answers. Mm-hmm. Reading is the long, boring, harder way, right? Yeah. Like even the book we'll t- I'll talk about in a second, The Problem of Pain, we're prone to be a generation or a, c- a culture that Googles why is there evil things in the world? Why is there bad mm-hmm. stuff? Rather than sit down and read a 1940s, 140-page long C.S. Lewis book, yeah. right? Or some of the other ones, The Worship Pastor, rather than figuring out what does it mean to lead worship and to be worshipers created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing that, we'll just read, we'll Google what's the definition of worship, right? And so mm-hmm. it's, it's some of that is how do we form ourselves to go back to what is a more simplistic, but probably takes more work to learn answers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think there's any other like reasons you'd say reading is important or you value reading? Those summarize me. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah, I don't That's have anything fine. in addition. So one of the reasons we think people don't read is oftentimes they don't know what to read. Right, mm-hmm. they they're sitting there and be like, yeah, I'd read if there was a book that was like burning on my bookshelf that I really yeah. really wanted to read. Read, so we're gonna give you two to three Christian books per person, and then maybe one fun book that we've been reading or have read, and then 
from there, we'll chat a little bit about what each book has meant to us, what we've learned from it, what our takeaways mm-hmm. have been, and then you can decide. If there's anything from this, you can pick one, two, or all nine Ooh. to read. Who wants right. to go first? Who's got the first book wreck? Not I. You're not you? <laughs> all right, Jana, you go first. I have to go first? Well, he said not I, oh, and I geez. just talked for four minutes, so <laughs> I'm off the clock. There you go. My first uh, recommendation would be any slash all of the books in the Chronicles of Narnia series. Mm. Um, I recently, over the last, I don't know, it didn't take me very long because they're kids' books, so they're pretty easy to read, um, read them all for the first time. I'd read Chronicles, or I'd read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a kid mm-hmm. and watched the movie, but I'd never read any of the other ones. Um, and so I was like, oh, they're short and simple and they'll be great. But they're actually super thought provoking and there's a ton of theology and just understanding of who God is in them that C.S. Lewis brings in. Um, that not only were they fun reads and and like fun stories and characters to like yeah. grasp onto, but there's some deep um, theological questions to wrestle with in that. Um, that were just really impactful for me of just variety of things. And so I would recommend them to anybody. That's good. Let me ask, what order did you read them in? The order there, chronological. Yeah, but okay, so there's there's a big debate here because he wrote them in one order, yet he meant them for a different order, yet some people say you can read them in even a third order in which the story reads slightly different. So like, what'd you do first? The Magician's Nephew? Yes. Okay. So that one's like chronologically, but it's like a prequel because you wrote it way yeah. late. Wait, does chronologically not mean in the order in which they take place? Yeah, it, it, that is chronological. Yeah, so that's how I read it. But but it was not the first book he wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, so. and some people even say in the journey of reading them, they won't read The Magician's Nephew maybe first because they, they want to read... I don't know. I'd have to have the actual thing in front of me. But like sometimes in the in the story they think there's like a it's almost like a behind the scenes like they'll go back to read a book like that hmm. and it gets fuzzy in the middle because the last battle is obviously the last one yeah i didn't um, even know that was a thing i just oh, looked yeah. it up chronicle of narnia book one nephew's magician's nephew yeah so there's it. like book a debate two? yeah so i it's, didn't it's books one through eight i knew they weren't written in the order in which they take place but yeah so some people read them in the order he took place some people read them one through eight and some people read them like there's a third way that people have devised huh. that they can be read it's the Star Wars books. Uh, Star Wars books actually have like a ton of books. Yeah, there's, there's a there's lot. There's so many. Star Wars. And I've never read any of them. Not me either. Do you feel like you had a favorite in the eight? Oof. I don't know that I did. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the first time reading through, I don't form opinions that fast. Did they you? were all good. So it wasn't like one stood out above the rest. Have you watched the two to three movies? I have watched The Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, the Which old one and the new one. There's two? Yeah, the old one's a classic one. I don't know if I've seen the old one. Mm-mm. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Oh, okay. I think I've it's only from the, like the 90s, I I've think. I've only seen the new, new one. Um, What's the other one that's out? Prince, uh, Prince Caspian? Caspian. And I think they have Voyage of the Dawn Treader, too. I think they also have I think have I've that seen Prince out. Caspian, but I okay. don't think I've seen the Voyage of the Dawn yeah. Treader. Well, there you go. So. Any, like, spiritual truth you feel like you're still reflecting on from that series like Um, one of the books where it was just like hey this helped me think about this different as you think i'll just like explain a little bit more what the series is maybe c.s lewis super famous theologian a person who wrote a lot of different books but he also had this fiction side of him he really liked myth and uh 
um, story and, and narrative and fiction. So he would write some of that. And the Chronicles of Narnia is a series of books written to about a fifth grade level. So about 10 mm-hmm. year olds um, where he's trying to convey, yes, a story, but using the story to, to put in some, um, what's the, what's the word? Um, analogies or allegories. Well, I don't know which one of those is correct, but um, just depictions of mm-hmm. spiritual realities and theological truths. Yeah. Did I give you enough time? Did you think? Of yes. I think that, um, it's the last battle, right? I read them literally back to back. So yeah, they yeah. kind of all mixed yep. in my head. The last battle is when uh, the people have started to follow the false yep. teacher. Okay. Yeah. That's probably the best one. And just like seeing how easily they were deceived mm-hmm. by a charismatic yeah, leader. It's like a, a donkey. but then Well, it's it puts the gorilla. On... It's Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the... then they like put on a lion's. Yeah. They find the... a lion skin. And yep. so the don they put it, the gorilla puts it on the donkey and tries to tell people it's Aslan. Yeah. And so then they're all following as Aslan, but they, they don't, he never lets them close enough to see that they're following a fake. Yeah. And so he just good. deceives them. So it's super good. Yep. Yeah. I've never touched any of this and <laughs> you're lost <laughs> from an outsider. I'm like donkey, gorilla, lion skin. <laughs> what? You yeah. So like them. even, they're even the last good. battle, I watched part of the movie. Yeah. Flying the Part of the movie. Yeah. yeah. That's about all I got. Like a very Dylan I've, thing I've, read him, I've read him probably two, three times. Yeah. And every single time, it's just like, man, that is amazing. You'll sit yeah. there and, and like, I've cried multiple times over the last book, The Last Battle. Multiple times. Yeah, they're super good. Seeing the depiction of how he paints heaven is amazing. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Dylan, what do you got? Um, My first one, it kind of goes along a similar route, just more in your face and not fiction of... Uh, Timothy Keller's The Reason for God, mm. um, Belief in the Age of Skepticism. And in this book, he, I, I just love it. I'm a very logical person, and I really love to like really think and, and reason about things. Um, and so, Timothy Keller, he's a, a pastor at a, uh, I believe it's a Presbyterian church in downtown my, Manhattan. So, like, he's in in the midst of, like, the craziness, like, the post, post-Christian world, like, secularist is like the norm over there. Um, and so he writes this book to uh, atheists, agnostics, and skeptics. But the way he does it is really helpful even for Christians. And that's that's why I'm recommending this book is because it, it addresses a lot of the really heavy and hard conversations about our faith that everybody should wrestle with, especially if you're a Christian. And he writes it in a way that you don't need a whole bunch of scriptural foreknowledge to enter into it. Um, he doesn't use a whole lot of scripture. He uses um, a ton of just like real conversations, um, experience, um, literature, philosophy, uh, and some more reason to really describe it. So like uh, you can walk through this book as an atheist and like be able to engage and not have to know exactly what, you know, Exodus three means or, yeah, you know, yeah. anything like that. Um, and so a, a lot of the questions that that he answers, I think it's it's divided up into seven chapters and seven chapters, so it's in total of fourteen. Um, but the, the, some of the first seven chapters really address the hard questions of like, why is there suffering in the world? Um, how could a loving God send people to hell? And why isn't Christianity more exclusive? Mm-hmm. Um, and shouldn't the Christian God be a, a God of love? And there's a whole bunch more in that as well. Um, but he really tries to flush out these ideas in a way that's understandable um, and in a way that kind of appeals to the the logical side. Um, And so it's just a different perspective because a lot of times I feel like we can just get scripture thrown at us Mm -hmm. and to see it from a different view of 
you know, this is why like logically it makes sense um, to believe in God. And it helps break down, I think, and also of course form a ton of theological like ideologies and, and opinions that you can have of, you know, like there might be a day when someone comes and asks you, why is there a ton of suffering in the world? And it helps you like kind of form your, the understanding of, you know, like, sin has broken this world. Like there is an enemy that is trying to steal, kill and destroy all things. Um, and like, there's, there's a war going on in in the spiritual reality of like light versus darkness that God is trying to bring about and is, and will bring about a a redemption and a recreation of all things. Um, but there's opposition against that. And so of course there's suffering because there's a battle, um, and there's brokenness in this world. That's good. And so he just really, really flushes out um, and paints some really beautiful pictures of, of spiritual realities in just a more straight up nonfiction type way. Yeah, hmm. that's cool. I'll keep going just to save time. But if you like logic, logic guy, yep. uh, C.S. Lewis, problem of pain. Um, again, he addresses that question you're talking about of why, why do bad things happen? Mm-hmm. Like this problem that is in our world, that is pain, that is evil, that is darkness. Where does it come from? Um, he does it in the 1940s, like I said. So it's right on the cusp of the start of World War II, which I think when you're looking at books that are historical, looking at like the context in which they wrote them can be really formative. Like I can't even fathom what it was like to be in Europe in World War II mm-hmm. when Germany is like starting this like persecution of the Jewish people mm-hmm. and you're seeing that suffering, you're, you're hearing the rumors of what might be going on and you're trying to write a book about what, where pain comes from and yeah. why it exists. So it's just, it's, he, he really puts this contrast of trying to address if there is a good God, how do bad things happen? Mm-hmm. And he explains it, how um, God is both powerful. So he can take away the, the bad things yet he is also loving, and so he allows us the free choice. And even just one of the concepts, I I think it's early on in the book, but I was struck by, is he talks about how free will must must include some type of suffering or hardship. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is like all three of us at the table have different opinions. Like even for me, if I was going to choose where the three of us are going to go to lunch, and like I didn't ask for your opinion, I just made my decision, one of you two might be upset by that. Like that's just a consequence of having free will that we have different opinions. We're created differently. We have different passions and desires and giftings and, and all of those things. So they, they're bound to butt up against each other. And when that happens in humanity, there will be strife and pain and chaos. And so he talks about that. He also talks about heaven and hell. I think that's a conversation a lot of people are interested in. How could a good God create hell? How could people in heaven still be all joyous and have no pain when they know people they they loved and cared about are actually going to be in hell. Mm-hmm. Like he addresses that in this book. So I, I just found it. Anything C.S. Lewis writes is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're harder to read for a lot of people. So take your time through it. Um, but it's, it's worth the journey. Yeah. Next. Good. Yeah. Keep going. Second one. My, this is probably my favorite uh, nonfiction book of all time. It's called The Worship Pastor by Zach Hicks. And I love it um, for multiple reasons, not just because I'm a worship pastor, but this book in general has probably influenced my philosophy of worship, my understanding of worship, how I do it, why I do it more than any other book I've ever read. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even though it's directed at the worship pastor and and talks about that, it's a book I would recommend to anybody who Mm -hmm. wants to learn more about what worship is. Worship, uh, we're talking about worship in the corporate body of believers meeting through music a lot of time but not just in music Mm -hmm. um 
And so if, if you are someone that, that wants to understand why we worship the way we do, um, the different aspects of it, like I highly recommend this book. It'll feel weird because it'll use language like you as the worship pastor, but you are a worshiper and every worship pastor is a worshiper before they are a worship pastor. Mm, that's good, yeah. And so every single one of us should be a worshiper. And so this, I think, ha- can give you a ton of just information of information, but then also just clarity and direction on what it looks like to worship God well. Um, and so it'll talk about different things like um, the the titles of all the chapters or the worship pastor as, but like a disciple maker, a prayer leader, uh, like a theological dietitian, um, a prophet, a missionary. There's lots of different roles that a worship mm-hmm. pastor will take, but they all reveal something really beautiful about what worship is yeah. and how it functions, how it works. And so um, I love it because worship in the corporate body is probably how I connect with God the most, yeah. how I feel like I hear his voice the most. And so this has been really influential in just opening my understanding and broadening my mindset of it. So that's my second. And, and we've talked before about the impact of musical worship on mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Like oftentimes we don't leave a, a church service and have the sermon running on loop in our head, yeah. mm-hmm. but you might leave the church service and have the song that you sung stuck in your head for yeah. days and days. And so those theological truths are sinking into your heart through repetition mm-hmm. because they're set, set to melody. But yeah. even then do we recognize the importance of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if it's that impactful for you, which as people we've, we've talked about how we're created to, to, engaged by worship you know we are that it, it, it's we're drawn to it mm-hmm. and why is that and why does it have this impactfulness to us so that's really good yeah cool uh my second one is called Re- uh, reactivity by david tripp um of course me being in the in the creative world and definitely when it comes to social media it's something i'm really interested about and i think it's something that i mean we have to understand because it's coming and we don't get a choice if we get to be a really be a part of it or not um and it has a huge amount of influence in our world um i mean this is the biggest communication shift we've had in over 500 years since the printing press and so there's a huge amount of learning that needs to come from it um and david what what do you what do you mean by it like when you talk about there's a a bunch of information like this is the biggest communication shift like Mm -hmm. we we have to learn from it yeah what's it there I think like what's the present like what's the mm-hmm. book about when it's reactivity. So reactivity is talking about the way that social media has influenced our culture to be reactive. Um, he uh, defines a lot the hair trigger response that we have now been trained to have and now has been normalized in our uh, community. Um, and so David Tripp, he got on the social media game when it was pretty early out. He started in uh, doing Twitter all early 2000s so like right when it had come out and he saw it as a powerful tool to engage people in gospel um and so every day after he would do his bible study he'd upload three he'd tweet three takeaways from his daily devotional and has been consistent on that every single day for 13 or so years like the dude has been going um but as social media has has gained power and influence um, and this culture of reactivity has started to flood in and, and there's a, a whole lot of toxicity and, and just like kind of corruption. And like now social media has kind of become this cesspool of just all the bad things in, in culture that have been gathered up um, that he started to quickly see like all these negative comments, of course, going against the gospel um, and, and what he was doing. And he said, one thing that I thought was super insightful was we've become a people that are as soon as we are, f- are offended, we'll pull the trigger on responding. He said that 
you can tell from a lot of the comments that he's gotten on his tweets in the past 13 years that the people that have been offended and have responded neg- uh, negatively have only read the title. Hmm. That they see something that, you know, quickly like triggers them, like rubs them the wrong way, and then they would just pull the trigger hmm. on reacting in a harsh way, um, in a way that is unloving. And it started to find its way into the Christian circle that then now we are a place that, you know, mm. are struggling with this toxic culture and just reacting. If, if there's one piece of change, all like, that's so wrong. We got to like pull the trigger and critique and rebuke somebody in that. Um, and so he really goes against, um, this way of communicating in, in a toxic and reactive way, um, and just addresses how he can communicate in a biblical way. And he talks um, just about how this goes against the, the way of Jesus, that especially as Christians, we cannot react in this way. That by reacting um, out of reaction and in toxicity, that we go against what Jesus says when he says, my disciples will be known by their love. No, you go against what James said when it's talked about to be slow, yeah. to, slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. Mm-hmm. And, and he really fin- he finishes up the book in a beautiful spot, just talking about presence that in order to fight back against this culture of reactivity and, and, and toxic um, just response and all that, that we need to sit in the reality of Psalm 46, that is to be still and know that I am God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in that, in the being still and knowing that God is God, it's knowing that his plan and his purpose are going to take place, that they will come to be. Um, and then just by being still, we're the ones that look different out of this, you know, raging flash of culture. Mm. Um, and so by looking different, we can be the testimony of the goodness of God, that we can be still and rest and know that he is God and not have to worry about the million other things going on in culture. That's good. Mm-hmm. The last one I'll talk about is one that has changed a lot of the way I do my life. It's Jordan Rayner's Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive. And the reason I find this book so formative is there's a whole movement out there of like habits and and productivity and self-help workbooks and like all the different things. So you can list like atomic habits, you know, compound effect, uh, what's, what's, what's more, um, the seven high, uh, seven habits of highly effective people. Like there's book after book after book of what it means for us to be productive and to, to steward our time well and all those different things. This one is the only one I've found that is truly biblical. The other ones are great. I've read a lot of those and there's principles in there that I've applied to my life, life that I've really enjoyed. But like this, this one right here is he literally goes through scripture and finds practices looking at the life of Jesus of how he spent his time. Because when you think about it, Jesus spent 30 years of his life in obscurity. He's born in the, the manger, but it's not until he's about 30 years old when he starts doing ministry. And then in three years of his life before he's crucified, he changes the whole world. Like he invests in this group of people in such a way that the compound effect of that will change the whole trajectory of the whole world. And he did it in three years. So like he was the most productive, most effective person ever. And so he'll look at it. The seven are let your yes be yes, uh, descent from the kingdom of noise, prioritize your yeses, accept your unipresence, um, embrace productive rest and eliminate all hurry. And I wish I could go into all seven and just kind of break those down for you. But if you're going to pick up a book, to study what it looks like to be productive, especially if you're a college student stepping into young adult life and trying to maximize work and social and physical fitness and mental health and all those things. I think this is a book that can help you do that. So should we do a quick lightning round? One fun one each? Quick yeah. fun one? 
What's a fun one? Fun one? Yeah, yeah. My fun one, my favorite non or favorite fiction book that I've read in the last year is called The Night We Burned by S.F. Koza. It's a psychological thriller looking at kind of the uh, life of a couple people post their escape from a cult. Oh, wow. wow. They actually burned, hence the title. Okay, so, interesting. That's all I can give without giving too much away. All but right. it's super good. If you like psychological thrillers, twists at the end. Yeah, that's that was that's my recommendation. It was fun. Uh, mine's Ashley Vance's Elon Musk, Tesla, Space, SpaceX, and the Quest for a Fantastic Future. So I listened to this one. I think Elon Musk is one of the most fascinating people currently in our culture. Like the way that he is leading three major companies uh, and just bought Twitter, so four technically. Like he just is. He's changing the world for good or for bad. I don't know yet, and I think people have a lot of opinions. But his life, his story, how he got to where he is, and the way he ticks as a person is fascinating. And so, if you if you're a memoir or a biography person, this book is is. I mean, it blew my mind. Some of the things he did and does, and who he is as a person. But that's mine. Um. My my fun one is of course nonfiction because I hate all things fiction. I think it's a waste of time. Except for Stranger Things, that's fiction. Big fiction. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's Got a TV him. show. Got I'm talking. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking. Well, you'd I mean, read the book too if it came out. No, I would not. Nope. No way. We'll see. We'll see. They'll make a book eventually. Um. No, but my fun one is called Spiritual American Trash, and the title is really aggressive, which is why I bought it. Um, but the subtitle is. Um, portraits from the margin of art and faith um it's by greg bottoms and it is an (laughs) i'm sorry really (laughs) (laughs) greg Uh, bottoms is he married to sandy cheeks (laughs) i hope not all right sorry um but it's it's a really interesting book um and the title really has nothing to do with what he talks about it's it's really uh eight portraits um so it's like a biography autobiography what's the one written by a different person uh, biography. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's like eight mini biographies of these people who had experienced uh, suffering mm. and in their faith um, have created out of it creative art and they're, f- they're eight outcasts. So people okay. who have been like outcasts from culture. Um, and so two examples, one of them is a, this guy who grew up um, just with a really great, like not great family um, and ended up running away to work as a janitor in Washington, D.C. Mm. And he had this like garage like back in this alleyway and he created a throne a throne for god um thinking of revelation and and the return of jesus he was creating and building this throne out of the trash that he found being a janitor and so when he wasn't working um as a janitor working in washington dc he was taking the trash that he had found and building this throne as a piece of art Mm. to symbolize the return of king jesus that's cool Hmm. um the second one is um, a mother who was um, in wartime. Uh, it was living in Europe um, around the time, I think it was World War II, um, where she created Bible scenes out of driftwood. Like mm-hmm. just a mother that was really, really struggling. But what gave her hope was continuing to build these like Bibles, like scenes from the Bible um, out of driftwood. And so it's really, really interesting. Like these people have like suffered hardcore. Um, and there's like just some really hard things that these people went through, yet still their faith shines beautifully out of it. And the, the things that they create are pieces that would probably never get to the, the mainstream, that would never get seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but Greg Bottoms does a great job of just highlighting 
some of this work. <laughs> Stop. You gotta do it again. Uh, every time, every time you're talking, you probably see it if you watch on the video. Every time I thought of the name Bottoms, I just started smiling a little bit. And so I, here's my public apology. I'm sorry, Mr. Bottoms. I didn't, I didn't mean to. I just, there's a part of me that I know it's probably been tough his oh whole my life, goodness, yeah. and probably. so he, he doesn't need that from me. So this is my my corporate public. Repentance, confession. I'm sorry. This is now Brennan's apology video. It is. It is my apology video. Before I even get canceled, I know what I did. I, I'm working on it. I'm praying about it. My apologies. But there, that's it. Did you yep. even finish your sentence? Yeah. 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 But all right. We love you. We hope that you enjoy oh, these books. Geez. If you've got books you want to recommend to us, always hit us up. We're, yeah. We love reading. So yeah. go ahead and let us know. But otherwise, peace out. Bye. See ya.